0: I'm glad y'all are here this morning. I'm glad to be here as well. And I'm glad to be here because in this world that we live in today, it is easy to doubt God. As we live life and go about and, and, and do the things that He calls us to do and that He has for us to do in this world, it is easy to have doubts about the promises that God makes in His Word. I wonder, do you ever doubt God or have doubts about the promises that he makes in his word? Or am I the only one? You know, I hear the promises of God. I hear Jesus say things like in Matthew 16 and verse 18 where he says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But then I leave this place and I go and walk around in the world and I have to admit, Lord, sometimes it sure does seem like that the gates of hell are, of hell are prevailing against the church. It's easy to doubt the promises of God. I think of the promise of Jesus right there, that last verse in Matthew 28. Remember, he said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But as I live and move and have my being, sometimes it feels like God's not there. It can be really lonely out there, and we feel abandoned sometimes, even though Jesus promises to never leave us or forsake us. I think of that promise in Romans 8, in verse 39, that great promise, right? That nothing... And all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Glorious promise of God. But as we face difficult things, as we sin and are sinned against, and we live life in this world, boy, sometimes I'm just not feeling the love. It feels like circumstances sometimes do separate us from the love of God, and it's easy to doubt God and His promises. One more, I was thinking about it because we had in that confession of faith and promise of pardon Ephesians chapter 2. And Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 assures us that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. But I don't know about you, but I get up sometimes and I feel like I don't have a purpose. I feel like that God doesn't have good work for me to do. That there aren't good, meaningful things that I'm doing that he has prepared in advance. It is easy to doubt God and to doubt the promises in his word as we live in the world that we live in today. I wonder, how do you think God responds to our doubts? How does God respond to the doubts of his people? Well, we get a really good indication of how God responds here in Genesis chapter 15. If you haven't been with us, we're in the midst of a sermon series on the life of Abraham that we have entitled, Finding Faith in a Fallen World. And the Scripture tells us that that Abraham is a prototype for all believers, that he is the father of all who believe. And so we can learn a lot about saving faith by looking at the life of Abraham. And today, Abraham has some doubts. And we get to see how God responds to those doubts. So I hope you'll look at them with me in Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to to begin reading in verse 1 of Genesis, chapter 15. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. We're in the chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Hear now God's word. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. God comes to Abram and says, don't be afraid. I have your shield. I'm going to protect you. Your reward's going to be great. I'm going to provide for you. Now, why would God come to Abraham and say, fear not? Well, evidently, God, who knows the hearts of his people, knew that Abram was afraid. It said, after these things, and if you weren't with us in Genesis chapter 14, what has just happened is that this group of four kings has come in and conquered the area, and they took Adam um, Abram's nephew Lot and carried him off to a foreign place. And Abram assembled these fighting men and went after them and divided his forces and attacked them at night and, and conquered these kings and has brought Lot back to his land. And now Abraham is back. Perhaps he's afraid that that these kings might retaliate or may come after him after he has taken these spoils of war from them. Perhaps that's what he's worried about. I don't know. In the context, that's my best guess. It just says, after these things, God comes and says, Fear not, because I will protect you. I'm your shield, and I'm going to provide for you. You're going to have a great reward. And Abraham says, "Uh, Speaking of that great reward... Let me talk to you about that, guy. Look what he says in verses 2 and 3. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Now what's going on here? God, back in Genesis 12 in verses 1 through 3, had promised to make Abram a great nation. That means he was going to have lots of descendants. And God had promised in Genesis chapter 12, when Abram was 75 years old, that he was going to have a son and that he was going to have descendants and that God was going to bless all nations, all people through Abram's descendant. At this point, in the next chapter, we're told Abram is 86 years old. So it's been about 10 years since God made that promise. And now Abram's starting to doubt because he's 85 years old. His wife is about his same age, and they don't have any kids. And Abram's saying, God, you told me I was going to have an heir, a son, a descendant, that I was going to be a great nation. I don't even have any kids. Somebody in my household is going to be my heir when I die because I don't have any kids. Abram is doubting God, and he's doubting the promises that God has made. So how does God respond? We learn here. We get a picture. We get to see how does God respond to his people when they doubt. Look with me. How does God respond? Look at verses 4 and 5. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. Oh my, God is so gracious. He could squish Abram like a bug if he wants to. I think of Darth Vader, you know, how he just goes like this and people can't breathe anymore. God could just take his breath, stop his heart from beating. God's got that kind of power. But he's so gracious and merciful and kind. And he speaks to Abram and reassures him. And it's almost as if he puts his arm around Abram and takes him outside and says, Look at the stars. Count them if you can. You probably can't count them all. So shall your offspring be. You're going to have so many descendants just like the stars in the sky. That's how God responds to the doubts of his people. And we see in verse 6 that Abram believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was, your translation may say, credited to him as righteousness. We've been singing about that all morning, right? That our belief doesn't make us righteous, doesn't make us pure, but we're credited with righteousness or we're counted as righteousness because of our faith and belief in a holy God. We'll talk about that more next week. So I hope you'll come back for that, what that means and what that looks like. But for this week, I want us to consider how this truth applies to our lives. And if you've been in the men's study on Wednesday nights, we've been learning to apply the Scripture to our lives, and so I'm going to use that rubric. Feel free to come join us. We'd love to have you. And remember what we've been doing, been saying, okay, we want to understand what God was saying to the original audience. So who is the original author here of Genesis? Moses. And who's the original audience who's first receiving this? The children of Israel, they've just come out of Egypt in the desert. They're about to come into the promised land and they receive this story of Abram and about his doubt of God and about God's promise to make him as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now think about that. If that's the original author and the original audience and they look back and say, Wow, Abram doubted God. He doesn't squish him. He's really kind and, 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 and gracious to him. But not only that, but the original audience would have to look around and say, hey, you know what? God kept his promise. Because they are literally leaving Egypt some 400 years later, and there are thousands of descendants of Abram that are leaving Egypt. Some even guess million, over a million of them. And so when they read the promises of God, God says, I'm going I'm to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you descendants. And Abram doubts, and they look around and say, wow, God kept his word. There are numerous descendants. Abram has become a great nation. We're sitting here looking at it. We are that great nation. And so the conclusion for them is inescapable. Wow, God keeps his promises. We can see it with our own eyes how God has been faithful to his people despite their doubts. In the face of their doubts, God remains faithful to his promises. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, if that's how it was supposed to encourage the original audience, that's how it is meant to encourage us as well. We have doubts, we hear the promises of God. And we wonder if he's going to remain faithful to his promises. We doubt God and we doubt his word. And this scripture shows us that that God doesn't squash us like a bug, that he's gracious and merciful and he moves towards us and he reassures us. He gives us his word as he spoke to Abram, but he also gives us things we can look at to see his feelings. He shows Abram the stars in the sky. What do we have to look at to see God's faithfulness? The old hymn says that we're to count our blessings, name them one by one. That's a good exercise because it helps us to see God's faithfulness in the past so that it helps us to have faith in him in the future. So listing the ways God has been faithful, that helps us. Journaling. Sometimes we pray things for weeks or months and God answers that prayer and then we just move on and have another prayer request. But keeping a journal and writing things down and being able to go back and look and say, wow, we prayed for that and God answered that prayer. That can be something that helps us to have a stronger faith in the future when we see how God has been faithful to answer the prayers of his people in the past. If you don't have a story like that, read the biographies of great heroes of the faith who have been through difficult times and have doubted and have documented how God came through for them. That is another way that we can build our faith in God even in the midst of our doubts. And as we do so and see his faithfulness, my prayer is that we would believe the Lord and it would be credited to us or counted to us as righteousness, like verse 6 says. Next question. If we believe God, if we make a profession of faith, yes, Lord, at this moment, I believe you. I am going to trust in your promises. Question. Does that mean that we will never again have any doubts? Look with me at the text. Look what happens with Abram. Because we're just told in verse 6 that he believed God and it's credited to him as righteousness. Look at verses 7 and 8. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, "Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Really? (laughs) I thought he just met you in your doubt and showed you the stars and you believed. But now here he is two verses later saying, yeah, Lord, but how can I know? And that's the cry of our hearts too, isn't it? We hear the promises of God, and yes, we believe, and we profess faith, and we leave church, and we're all excited. We leave our quiet time, and yes, I'm going to believe the promises of God, but then we start living our life, and we say, yeah, Lord, I know, but, but how can I? know? Oh, will you give me some assurance? Look, God's already calmed him down one time and told him and already spoken to him and showed him the story. I mean, what's he going to do this time? Okay, one time I'll reassure you, but then after that, Squashed like a bug, right? Let's look and see how the Lord responds. Look at verses 9 through 11. And God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Not exactly the assurance that I was looking for. doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, does it? Keep going. And Abram brought all these, and cut them in half. Now, God didn't say cut them in half. He just said, bring me this stuff, right? But Abram comes, and he cuts them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, what in the world's going on here? Well, when God said, go get these animals, Abram knew what God was saying. Because that meant something in ancient Near Eastern culture. What's going on here is they are cutting a covenant. Now, what does that mean to us as 21st century Americans? Well, sometimes when we doubt, if, if Clay says he's going to do something, and I doubt that he's going to do that, what do we do in 21st century America? We make a contract. I say, thank you for promising to do that, Clay, but I want it in writing. Let's write it down and make a contract. And that way, if you don't keep your word, then, then we've specified what you're going to do. We have it in writing, and there are penalties for a breach of this contract. And if I don't live up and I don't give you what I say I'm going to give you for doing what you say you're going to do, then, then you can take action against me. In 21st century America, we make a contract, right? That's what they're doing. The ancient Near Eastern custom was not to write a contract like we do, but the ancient Near Eastern custom was to cut a covenant. And typically, a great king would have people swear their loyalty to him, and they would cut these animals in half. And the tradition was that the person who's swearing loyalty to the king is going to walk through these animals that have been split in half. And when they walk through, they are saying, if I fail to do what I promise and be loyal to this king, then may I be cut into two like these animals are cut into. May my dead carcass on the ground be food for the birds that come in and eat if I don't keep the promise that I'm making in this covenant. That's the way they made contracts. They cut a covenant. Covenant. We can see how Abram responds. Verse 12, he's gone and gotten the animals, he's cut them in half, He set everything up, right? Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Well, he's already asleep, how is this great and dreadful darkness falling on him? I am imagining sanctified speculation, it doesn't say in the text, this is my guess. I'm guessing Abraham is saying, oh no, I am entering a covenant with God Almighty. And if I'm not faithful to him, and if I continue to have doubts, I'm about to walk through these animals, and I'm going to be saying, Lord, just cut me and have eviscerate me. Make my dead carcass there for the birds if I am not faithful to you, because that's what the custom went. And I can imagine was like, well, that's it. I'm kind of on notice now. If I, doubt, if I doubt again, that's it. It's over. If I'm not faithful to God again, oh, no, that's over. Because I'm making this promise that if I fail or if I doubt God again, I will pay. You see, the custom in the ancient Near East is the lesser of the parties always walk through the animals. Some kings would sit back and say, I'm a king, I'm not walking through that. I'm not making you any promises, but you're making some to me. A really good and gracious king would have the other person walk through the animals, and the king would walk through as well, so that he also said, if I fail to do my part to protect you and provide for you, then I will pay. And if you fail to do your part of being loyal to me and paying your taxes, then you will pay. If a really good and gracious king would walk through, but the lesser party always walk through. What happens here? Look at the text. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain, he knows Abram's doubt, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces, And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land. You see what happened there? Abram did not walk through the animals. He's fallen into a deep sleep. He's lying there. Adam doesn't walk between the animals. But there's this smoking firepot this flaming torch that goes between them what is that the smoking firepot and the flaming torch are are physical representations of god the children of israel who have come out of egypt in the desert would recognize this on mount sinai we're told that when god comes and gives the law fire and smoke were on mount sinai The pillar of fire that they have followed by night, which is the glory of God leading them, has been described with the same two words fire and smoke. So when they hear this story that the fire and the smoke pass between the animals, they know that it is God Himself who has walked through the pieces. And God alone has walked through the pieces and made a covenant. Think about what He is saying. God Himself, the King of the universe, says, You can be assured that I'm going to keep my promises. And if I fail, may I be cut in half like these animals. May I cease to exist. But God is also saying, If you fail, Abram, if you doubt, If you are not faithful to the covenant promises, I will pay the penalty. God is so gracious and trustworthy and does what no other king will do. Listen to me. That's why you can trust him to do what he says that he will do because of the promises that he's made and his faithfulness and his character. But if that's not enough, we on this side of the cross have even more reason to trust God. Because 2,000 years after this event with Abram, Mark 15 and verse 33 tells us that again, a dark and dreadful darkness fell on the land from noon to 3 p.m. as Jesus hung on a cross. Isaiah 53 and verse 8 tells us that he was cut off from the land of the living. That's covenant language, right? That he's cut off, that he's separated from the land of the living because God had cut a covenant with his people. And we have doubted and we have been unfaithful to him. And God himself comes to earth as a man and he takes the penalty of the covenant that he is cut off from the land of the living. Isaiah 53 8 goes on to say, He was stricken for the transgression of my people. (laughs) He's cut off from the land of the living because we broke the covenant. Because we transgressed, and he paid the penalty for it. The New Testament talks about this a lot. I think of Galatians 3 and verse 13. We read there, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanging on the tree. Watch this, verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Do you hear the connection he's making? He's saying Jesus hung on the cross and paid the penalty for our violating the covenant so that the promises made to Abraham, the man of faith might come to us too. It's directly linking the finished work of Christ on the cross with our receiving those promises made to Abram. It's not the only place. Hebrews chapter 6. I texted uh, Josh Lambert this week when they were praying and worshiping. I was like, we got to sing Christ if you're in steady anchor. Look at this verse. Look at what Hebrews 6 says. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because that's what's going on here. He's like, I'm promising you, I'm sure in you that I'm going to keep my promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise." For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we, that's us, listen, the descendants, the one who have faith, We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Do you hear what he's saying? These New Testament scriptures are telling us that we receive the promises made to Abraham because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And yes, even those of us who have professed faith, even as we continue to doubt and struggle with doubt, we have been credited with the perfect righteousness of Christ, But our seeing Jesus on the cross paying the price for our covenant unfaithfulness, that reminds us of God's faithfulness to all his promises. It assures us that God means it when he says what he says. And in Hebrews 6, it says that it gives us strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us because we have this sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. Oh, don't you want that kind of anchor? I talked about the doubts that we face when we go outside these doors and it's like we're blown here and there by every wind of change. Don't you want an anchor for your soul? Romans chapter 8 assures us of that. It reminds us that if God did not spare his own son but was willing to give him up for us all, how will God not also graciously give us all the other things that he's promised? Maybe you're here today and you have not yet committed to trusting in Jesus. I want you to learn from our father Abraham. I hope you'll take away from this story today. Don't think that you have to have all the answers, that you have to have it all figured out, that you have to understand it all before you can commit to him. Abram shows us that's just not true. He doubted, and he didn't have all the answers. Yet he believed in God. There's a man in the New Testament who says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I call you to come to him in that way. Abram shows us that saving faith, the faith that saves, is not a faith without doubts or without questions. Abram shows us that God does not condemn us for doubting, but he meets us in our doubts with his own willingness. To pay the price for our unfaithfulness. He's so gracious to us. Listen to me. Anything else you run to to trust in for your salvation will require you to walk through the pieces. It will require you to perform. If your faith is in being good enough, then you've got to perform. If your faith is in knowing the right people and knowing the right stuff, then you've got to perform to learn. If your faith is in money, if your faith is in family, you have to perform in those things. This is the only thing that God offers you. Where in order to be accepted, it's just your faith in Him, and it doesn't depend on your doing anything to come to Him. God is willing to pay the price if you will trust in Him alone. Maybe you're here today and you're like me. You do consider yourself a believer, but you still struggle with doubts. We've already said it's hard to live in this world and not doubt God and his promises. I want you to know that all your doubts, all your troubles, all your worries flow from the fact that you don't have your anchor down far enough into this truth that we're talking about today, into this truth that if God did not spare his own son but was willing to give him up for us all, how will God not also graciously give us all the other things that he has promised? Isn't that why you worry and why you doubt? It is for me. It's because I believe on some level that God's not gonna come through for me. That's why I have worries and doubts. Intellectually, I know it's true. I will profess it with my mouth, but somewhere in my being, I doubt that God's gonna come through for me. And as a result, we've got to get our anchor down farther into this truth. We must look at whatever causes us worry or causes us doubt and see that this is nothing compared to what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's nothing compared to God giving up his son for me. This is nothing compared to that. So surely God will come through for me in this much smaller thing. It seems counterintuitive to say, don't look at the circumstance, look at the cross. But that's the answer. Friends, as you face difficulties in life, listen to me. (laughs) There is an anchor for your soul that allows you to not be blown about by every wind of change, by every new philosophy. There is an anchor for your soul that allows you to trust God in all circumstances. I call you to look to Jesus and his finished work of Christ on the cross and to keep your life and your thoughts and your feelings and all that you are and do anchored in him. Let's pray and ask God to do that. together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Oh, Father, you know that we doubt. You know that we're blown about. I just pray for my own heart and for my friends here that we would find that anchor for our soul that only you can give. Be with us now as we sing about that. Make this real to our hearts. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.